My name is Angela Musimbi Lusigi, and I was born in Nairobi, Kenya. And I moved to New York City three years ago because my job moved here, and I came with my mother and my daughter. And I found Trinity Baptist on Google Maps and the website, and I haven't looked back since. In Kenya, eight out of 10 people is a professing Christian. That's about 36 million people. And the church is full of young people. It's vibrant and it's growing. And we have many types of churches. My mother is a Quaker. Uh, my father is from the Pentecostal Assemblies of God. And I was a member of Parkland's Baptist Church in Nairobi. We love to sing and dance and to dress up to go to church on Sundays. I'd like you to pray with me for my country because there are many young people who are looking for answers. They come to church, but then the competition and worldly success makes it difficult to live life as a Christian. There are many programs going on in our churches for children, for youth, for couples, uh, for young people, but we need more leaders and volunteers. So I'd like to pray for members of Parklands Baptist Church and Trinity that we'll respond when God calls us to serve in any capacity, that we'll know something that I've found over and over again, that when God calls you, he equips you, he gives you what you need to, to serve, and he can use each of us for his glory. We are one church, one body, and created to be free. Now the word of the Lord. Lakini mungu ni mfalme wangu tokea zamani. Afanyaye mambo ya wakobu katikati ya nchi. Wewe umeipasua bahari kwa nguvu zako. Umevivunjwa vichwa vya nyangumi juu ya maji. Wewe uliviseta vichwa vya lewe athani. Awe chakula cha watu wa jangwani. Wewe ulitekeza chemichemi za kijito. Wewe ulikausha mito yenye maji siku zote. Mchana ni wako, usiku ni wako pia. Ndiwe uliyefanya mwanga na jua. Wewe uliiweka mipaka yote ya dunia. Kaskazi na kusi wewe ulizitengeneza. Neno la Bwana, the word of the Lord. I would like for you to imagine a scenario with me. Imagine that you have a friend. I'm not saying you don't have friends, but um, imagine that you've got this one particular friend, not really a close friend, but someone that you have a relationship with. And this guy or gal calls you up one day and says that uh, he or she is having... Um, issues with um, his wife, her husband, and they've been arguing. And right here, I'm going to stop doing the gender-inclusive thing because it's just annoying. Um, let's just say it's a guy, okay? And we'll call him Keith, okay? So Keith is having this problem with his, his wife, and, and so he, he says, look, I, I just need a place to crash for a few days. And so you say, sure. Well, one night on the couch turns into two nights on the couch, turns into three nights on the couch, and then it's a week, and then it's two weeks. And now you're starting to feel a little stuck. Uh, I mean, you just, you wanted to, to help Keith in, in his time of crisis. You wanted to demonstrate Christ's love. But, but it's kind of, you know, just going on. But 
you really want to keep loving them. And so because logistics are what they are and because schedules are what they are, you end up giving him a key so he can come and go. And so you're not, and Dodgy's saying, you bonehead, don't do that. So, you know, but you're just really trying to love this guy. And, you're, and you keep telling yourself, things will get better. Things will get better. He'll, it'll, it'll ha-. Well, things do get better. About a month after he's moved in, he says, you know, me and my wife, we've patched things up and, and I'm going home. So he goes home and, he, and you're saying, praise Jesus, you know. <laughs> praise the Lord that I loved him well and I served him and that he's gone. A couple months later, um, you're laying in bed. You haven't quite gotten to sleep yet. Um, and you think you hear the front door creak open. And you're not sure, but then you pretty sure you hear it close, and then you hear these steps on the hardwood. And so you, you know, there's somebody in your house, in your apartment. And so you jump up, and you grab the golf club out of the closet, and you're about to go Vin Diesel on this guy or whoever, and you step out, and you hear this voice, Hey, dude, uh, mind if I crash on your couch again? You know, my wife and I are, are kind of... Okay, so here's the question. You just wanted to love this guy. You just wanted to demonstrate Christ's love to him. But by letting him crash on your couch, did you actually do more damage than good? By extending this loving arm to him, were you actually enabling him in a way that didn't really help his marriage? This morning, um, we're, we're in this series called Free, where we have been looking at the choices that we, that we make that, that help us experience the, the relational freedom that Jesus came to give us. Because as we, as we talked about the first week... <coughs> Uh, Paul said to the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And, and so if God came to give us freedom, what does that look like? And we, we also talked about the fact that it always has to be lived out in relationship because Jesus said everything boils down to, to two things, loving God and loving others. And that's relationships. And so how do we experience the, this freedom in relationships? We also determined that we established that, you know, freedom is not doing whatever you want whenever you want to do it. That just doesn't work. Freedom is about choices. It's about choosing things that are more life-giving over things that are less life-giving. Choosing things that are more soul-liberating than less soul-liberating. So we've been looking at all these choices, and this morning we come to this choice called uh, walls versus boundaries. And there's a difference. You see, a wall, by definition, is something that separates. It's something that, that divides. And walls, historically, have been used um, for security and protection. And we all know that when our lives get intertwined, um, hurts happen, right? Expectation, expectations go unmet or, or um, uh, unexpressed. There are disappointments. Uh, 
anger can come in. And so often when we're in the, in the midst of these relationships where, where we feel like we're being taken advantage of or whatever, we put up these walls because we've got to protect ourselves. But often what happens is when we, put it, when we build those walls, a wall also encloses and we find ourselves being trapped behind the walls of our defenses. So there's another option, a more freeing option, and that is um, to put boundaries in place. Now, this may seem a little counterintuitive because, I mean, how can a boundary be freeing, right? Well, think about it with regard to children. There are numerous studies that have been done on this. Excuse me. And all these studies have basically reached the same conclusions. That when you establish clear boundaries for kids, like meal times and bedtimes and homework time and screen time and, and whatever else, when you establish these clear boundaries, you create predictability in a child's life. And predictability reduces uncertainty, and that reduces anxiety. These studies have found that when you create boundaries, you allow children to grow up, to mature, to understand that they can't always get their way. They become more patient and learn to cope with disappointment. Creating boundaries for kids um, helps prepare them for the real world. One article I read ended this way. When you create boundaries for your child, he or she will have more maturity, resilience, adaptability, feelings of safety, and connection. He or she will be a better person in the long term. See, boundaries promote maturation and health. Is that just true for kids? Are you awake Is it true just for kids? No. (laughs) It's true for adults too. In all relationships, there need to be boundaries. Doctors Henry Cloud and John Townsend um, wrote an excellent book a few years back called, not coincidentally, Boundaries. I would encourage you to read it sometime because it goes into great depth on on this subject, and we're just going to scratch the surface this morning. But here's what they say. Boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. They say, knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. However, if I don't own my life, my choices and options become very limited. In other words, when I don't set boundaries, I limit my own freedom. So think of a boundary as a, as a personal property line. It becomes the line that, that demarcates the things for which we are responsible and the things that we're not responsible for. Um, Boundaries define the terms of what's allowable in a relationship and what's not allowable in a relationship. When we love God, we want to do the right thing, right? 
And doing the right thing means that we want to love others, yes? But often when we want to love others, what happens is we, um, we forget our own personal limits. But if we're going to live free, we need to establish the norms and expectations in relationships. Now you might be thinking, but Keith, are boundaries biblical? I mean, doesn't God call us to deny ourselves? Doesn't he? Doesn't he call us to, to look at the interest of others and not just our own interest? Yes. Um, doesn't that imply then that you ought to let Keith crash on your couch anytime he wants to? No. No. You see, God wants us to be loving and generous. He wants us to go beyond self-interest. And we're going to look at that next week. Um, Let me say right here that there is undeniably a tension between those things. And Beth and I were talking about it this week that, you know, how do I I be generous with myself and yet uh, have appropriate boundaries? I mean, there's a tension there. But it's a tension that we have to learn to navigate. If we're going to live in the freedom that God has for us, and if we're going to empower others to live in that freedom as well, we have to deal with that tension. And some of what we've already talked about will will help you set good boundaries, like um, living authentically and living humbly and learning to fight well. All of those things contribute to setting good boundaries. Now, as we, as we heard in the scripture that was read to us a few minutes ago from, from Psalm 74, we see that God is over all and that the day is his and that the night is his and, and the creatures of the sea, he's king of all of it. And in verse 17 of Psalm 74, it says that God, it was God who set all the boundaries of the earth. You see, God himself was a boundary setter. Now you say, well, Keith, that's, that's nature. But God set boundaries in relationship too. Think about Jesus. Jesus set bound, personal boundaries all the time. He didn't always help people in the way they wanted to be helped. He cured some but not others. He stopped and talked with some but not all. Sometimes when the crowds were seeking him, what did he do? He went the other way to be alone. Why? Because he had boundaries. If you read Mark chapter 3, you see that there's this great crowd around Jesus. And then Jesus withdraws and he appoints 12 to be his disciples. Do you think there were more than 12 that wanted to be his disciples? But Jesus said, I choose you and not you. He drew a boundary. In fact, even with the 12, there are at least two occasions where Jesus pulled three of them out and said, I want you guys to come with me. If you were the other nine, wouldn't you be thinking, hey, what about me? Why can't I come? See, Jesus was not afraid to draw a line, to set a boundary. We often struggle with this. As Christians, we feel we're being selfish when we say no to people. And while it's true 
that God loves for us to share and give out of our freedom. He does not want us to give out of compulsion. You know that? In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about financial giving. That's the context of of 2 Corinthians 9. Um, But he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, while the context is, is finances, the principle applies to all of us, to everything. That God is basically saying, you decide what you're going to give. You decide. Because I don't want you to feel compulsion to do it. I want you to do it with joy, with, with hilarity. You see, God supports our sense of boundaries because he created them. And as a result, we can be intentional, not compliant givers, just like Jesus. What's more, when we set boundaries with people, we help God bring people to maturity. When we say no to their irresponsibility, we help them to grow. Listen to what Paul says to the Thessalonians. This is from uh, 2 Thessalonians 3. We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is is instructing the, the Thessalonians not to indulge people who are simply takers. He's saying, don't, don't let them keep doing that. They need to carry their own weight. They need to do what they're supposed to do. And right after he tells them not to tire of doing good, what does he say? Don't associate with those folks. You see what he's telling them? Set boundaries. Because not only are boundaries freeing for you, it's better for them. Because it will help them to grow. When we say no to people in order to stop enabling their destructive behavior, we are serving as God's hand of discipline in someone's life. Not only does that help us live more freely, but it helps them to realize their own identity and and set their own boundaries. Now, some of us feel that God wants us to allow people to do whatever they want to do. To to us or to, to anybody else. And, and they adopt the, the idea, you know, uh, well, you just got to turn the other cheek. Or, you know, don't judge. We're not supposed to judge. Friends, that, those, that's very bad understanding of those phrases that Jesus used. Because we are supposed to set boundaries. Case in point. There was this issue going on in Corinth 
where no one was setting boundaries on behavior. And so in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. He's saying, look, people who don't even follow Jesus know that this is wrong. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. There's this guy in their midst sleeping with his his stepmother People know about it, and nobody's stepping up to rebuke him. Instead, they're doing the, um, we're not supposed to judge thing. We're extending grace to him. Paul says, stop doing that. He says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? In other words, you have to set some behavioral boundaries. What he's doing is not okay. When we don't set boundaries, we give people only grace and no truth. And that enables people to remain immature. Friends, God is very serious about his people growing up in him, and he does not want us to enable immaturity. Yes, we are to show people grace, but we also need to be truth speakers. Do you know what happened with this situation in in Corinth? Um, They ended up putting the man out of the fellowship. But you get to 2 Corinthians 2, and and they restore him because he's repentant. See, they ended up drawing a boundary, and it changed his heart. And he repented, and he came back, and they took him back in. Friends, there's always a tension between grace and truth. John tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He didn't balance grace and truth. He embodied the fullness of both. And there's undeniably a tension in that, but it's a tension that we have to navigate if we're going to be like Jesus and live in the freedom that he came to give us. And one way we navigate it is by making the distinction between the words two and four, not T-W-O-F-O-U-R, but T-O-F-O-R, all right? Between, we got to make a distinction between the difference of being responsible to people and being responsible for people. And Cloud and Townsend talk about this. Um, the distinction between those words um, really constitutes the, the, a big difference in how we relate to people. Being responsible to people is healthy. It means we are responsible to love them, to encourage them, to bless them, to pray for them, to serve them. But being responsible for people is unhealthy. It means we mistakenly take responsibility for their well-being, for their finances, for their happiness, for their success or failure, for the health of their marriage. You see, there's a difference between being responsible to and being responsible for. 
Scripture teaches us that we are responsible to love, to encourage, to bless, to pray, to help. But we are not responsible for the outcomes, for the consequences, for the emotions, for the reactions of someone else. See, it's the difference between being put on the hook to provide a solution and helping a person find a solution for himself or herself. If you do the former, you can unintentionally set up a giver-receiver relationship which isn't healthy for anybody. If you do the latter, you, you create a partnership where you come alongside and you help them to move forward. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see which one of those situations is more freeing. The Apostle Paul had something to say to the Galatians about this. In chapter 5, he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then a few verses later, he says, But don't use your freedom to indulge yourself, but use your freedom to love others. So that's the context of freedom. And then he comes in chapter 6, verse 2, and he says, Carry each other's burdens. But then in verse 5, he says, each one should carry his own load. Is that confusing? I'm reading this going, which is it, Paul? Carry each other's stuff or carry my own stuff? What am I supposed to do here? The Greek word for burden in verse 2 is baros, which, which connotes excessive weight. Um, it's referring to a burden that you simply cannot carry yourself. I've got to have help with this. In, in verse 5, the word that he uses is uh, fortion, which means something that needs to be carried, something that's expected to be carried. It's like a day pack. What Paul is saying is that there are some things that we need to help others carry because they just can't carry them themselves. But for the most part, we are expected to carry our own stuff. I'm expected to carry my own uh, uh, feelings and my attitudes and my behaviors and my responsibilities. Yes, it takes effort, but that's my day pack. That's what I'm expected to carry. But I am not expected to carry your day pack. And you're not expected to carry mine. See, there are burdens that, that you got to own. And i got to let you own them. If we're going to love well and live free, it means we live out of the distinction between enabling and empowering. Do you know the difference? When you enable, you, you let somebody go down a destructive road. When you empower, you are helping them to move forward and mature. It's the difference between giving a hand and giving a handout. Others need to take responsibility for their own lives. Loving well and living free means you walk alongside those in need and help them find their way, but you don't carry their load for them. Anybody heard this um, parable of the Good Samaritan? Anybody familiar with that? About 20% of us. Martin's read it. 
Everybody knows this story, right? We've read it from, you know, we've heard it preached a hundred times, and we've read it a thousand times, and we've looked at it from every different angle. Have you ever looked at it from the angle of boundaries? Well, think about it. Think about it for a minute. Jesus is talking to this guy about the, the greatest commandment, and they, they land on, you know, the they land on the fact that the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. They agree on that. This is in Luke chapter 10. And then the guy says, yeah, but who is my neighbor? Because he's trying to find a loophole. And then Jesus launches into this parable. And he says, okay, suppose there's a guy and he's traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem and he gets mugged. And he gets robbed and beaten and left for dead. And these two religious guys come along and and they pass by because they're too busy to help him, or at least so they think. Then this Samaritan comes and he stops and he helps the guy. He bandages him up and he puts him on his donkey and he takes him to this inn and he pays for him to be cared for there. You say, well, where's the boundaries in that? Well, let me read to you verse 35. What does the Samaritan do once he takes the guy to the inn? It says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for all the extra expense you may have had. Did you catch it? And when I return. What does that imply? That he left. That he went on his trip, right? Now, some could argue that he could have done more. I mean, if he had been a really good Samaritan, I mean, he was just a pretty good Samaritan because he didn't do everything he could. If he had been a really good Samaritan, he would have stayed there with the guy. He might have even taken the guy home with him and, and, you know, stayed with him and rearranged his plans and all that stuff So until the guy got well. Then he would have been a really good Samaritan. But that's not how the story goes. He did some great things. He helped the guy carry his burden, but he didn't do everything. He picked the guy up off the road, took him to an inn, and he paid for him to be cared for there. But that's as far as he went. See, the good Samaritan was willing to be inconvenienced, but he didn't allow this thing to reorient his life. That's setting boundaries. Remember the story of the paralytic in John 5? We've looked at it several times. This guy has been camped out by this healing pool for 38 years. For 38 years, he's been in the same place, waiting to be healed. And Jesus comes up, and in John 5, verse 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, remember what he said? He didn't say, oh man, I'm so sad that you've been here for so long. I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. That's not what Jesus did. What did he say? Do you want to get well? 
he challenged the guy and essentially saying, are you willing to carry your load? See, I'll help you carry your burden. I'll help you with the thing that you absolutely can't do. But I'm not going to do that until you say that you're willing to do what you can do. Jesus set boundaries. Jesus often did that. He didn't just do what people wanted him to do. He challenged them toward maturity. And that's what setting boundaries does. See, Jesus wasn't afraid to draw a line, to put responsibility back onto others, which would be better for them in the long run. See, setting boundaries is not only good for us, freeing for us, but it's good for the other person as well. Let me very quickly give you a few bullets for setting boundaries. And in so doing, I think you, if you'll do this, you'll begin to experience more of the freedom that Jesus came to give you. And these are just, um, you, can, you can read the, the um, unabridged version in, in Cloud and Townsend's book, but I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes, okay? So these are the, the bullets. Number one, define who you are and who you are not. Define who you are and who you are not. This goes back to what we talked about in week two, about counterfeit versus real. Um, God defines who he is and he calls us to define who we are. What, what do I want? What do I don't want? Um, what do I like? What do I don't like? What will I do? What won't I do? These are some things that, um, that we need to define. This is our identity. This is who I am and this is who I'm not. Number two, don't play the victim. You know what? You have choices. So take responsibility for those choices and own them. If, if you're giving something, you're making a choice to give, and you need to stop acting as if someone is making you give. If you are being criticized over and over, you need to take the responsibility to set up a meeting with that person, like we talked about last week, and deal with it. Don't just let it keep happening. If someone is pushing in on you and making you uncomfortable, you've got to sit down with them and talk to them about it. You can't just let it keep happening. You have to take responsibility. Don't play the victim. This will be freeing for you. Number three, become active, not reactive. And this kind of ties into the other, the thing I just said. Um, People with boundary problems are generally not initiators. They are reactors. They make choices by passively react, reacting to others. You don't do that. You have to, you have to t- take action yourself. Number four, set limits. One of the most important tasks is setting limits on others' behaviors. Um, stop enabling others to be self-centered and irresponsible. Now hear this. Yes, you are called to be a grace giver. But you are also called to be a truth teller. Grace and truth have to go together. 
which leads to number five, be honest. Be honest with one another. Um, Often people will not be honest because they fear loss of intimacy. They fear loss of togetherness. But in reality, honesty brings people together because it it, um, creates a clear sense of identity. Telling loved ones what is really on your mind and telling others what you really think, that is foundational to loving well. And number six, this is the last one, challenge distorted thinking. Um, We have to allow others to challenge our thinking and we have to feel the freedom to challenge theirs. Jesus said... um, Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, how do you get to the truth? You have to challenge each other's thinking. Because my perception of reality may not be true. But with the same token, your perception of reality may not be true. And so we need to challenge each other so that we can come to the truth. Here's the bottom line to all this. In looking uh, at boundaries, we cannot escape one main point, responsibility. Our our boundaries basically define our sense of responsibility for us. They tell us um, what our lives consist of and what we're responsible for. As Paul said, each of us must carry our own load. We need to own our feelings, our attitudes, our behaviors, thoughts, abilities, choices, desires, limits we got to own that stuff. We have to take responsibility for it. And when we do this, it enables us to love well. You see, the biblical concept of love involves laying down our life for others, right? Thanks, Ross. But here's the thing. It's impossible to give away what you don't have. And boundaries are a way of having the self that we can then choose to give away. Owning our lives is the essence of freedom, and there's no love without freedom. Freedom freedom means that I know who I am. Freedom means that I take responsibility for who I am and the choices that I make and and, and the things that I will and won't let you do in my life. Freedom means I carry my own stuff and I help you carry the stuff that you can't carry by yourself. But I'm not going to carry anything else. Because that's not good for you and it's not good for me. When we're free, we're free to love and love motivates us to give ourselves away. If you, if you aren't free and you're giving yourself away, um, that's just slavery. But if you will live in, in this place of, of healthy boundaries... And that enables your freedom and it enables you then to give yourself away more freely. Uh, When you can set boundaries, 
You know who you are, and you can then choose to share yourself with others. You can choose then to live in the fullness of grace and truth. Let me pray for us. Lord, I know that there are people uh, in this room this morning who are in bondage because either they've built walls that have then enclosed them relationally or they've put nothing up and they've allowed people to enslave them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be mature people, that you would help us to to set appropriate boundaries so that we can live free and we can promote growth in others. Lord, help us to carry our own load, but help us to know then um, the load of other people that, that we need to encourage them to carry themselves. And Lord, as we, as we come to the table this morning, I pray that we would recognize that, that even though you are a God of boundaries, a God, a, a God who is totally free, you, because you know who you are, because you knew, Jesus, who you were, that the Father had placed all things at your feet, you chose to go to the cross for us. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to see the extent of your love and that that love would then motivate us to love others well. For your name's sake, amen.